You are listening to Hit Play, Not Pause, a feisty menopause podcast for active, performance-minded women. I am your host, Celine Yeager. Each week, I bring you advice from athletes, scientists, researchers, and other experts to help you feel and perform your best, no matter what your hormones are doing. This show is a production of Live Feisty Media. Hello, strong, feisty women. I have a great one for you this week. And honestly, it's a conversation that I have been wanting to have for quite a while now. It's a show all about fasting. And I want to be clear right out of the gate that we're talking fasting specifically for health and weight loss or weight maintenance reasons here, not religious or spiritual types of fasting, which are done for purposes that are outside the purview of this podcast. And I want to talk fasting because it's something that is obviously sort of everywhere in the wellness sphere right now, and it is presented to peri- and menopausal women very often as the answer to all their health and weight management needs. And while I'm sure some women do it successfully, I have also seen a lot of women run into trouble with low energy availability eating disorders or disordered eating, muscle loss, and honestly, not really reaching their goals. So I wanted to sit down with someone who is pretty objective about fasting, has dug into the research, and, and this is important, understands what active and or athletic women need. Because what gets lost in the general conversation around diets and eating strategies like intermittent fasting is that most of the messaging is toward the general sedentary population. Most of the messaging around these things is not geared toward women who are lifting and training and taking on a good bit of exercise stress. Our needs are different. The impact of fasting on us is different. It's also different if you're premenopausal, perimenopausal, or postmenopausal. So I sat down with Dr. Aaron Fowles, formerly Dr. Aaron Donaldson, who is an autoimmune and precision medicine specialist who has spent a lot of time studying fasting and autophagy or cellular cleanup, female hormones, stress, and the HPA access, and how all of this impacts our female health. Aaron graduated from Texas College of osteopathic medicine, and she is board certified in family medicine, and she has practiced precision medicine with Wild Health, which you may recall from the show we did with Dr. Julie Fauché. And I just really appreciated her educated and common sense insights into all of this, and I hope you enjoy it as much as I did. You can learn more about her and her work at thedrerin.com. And I will link that into the show notes to make it easy to find her. All right. Before we get into it, as always, check us out on Instagram and Facebook at Feisty Menopause. Sign up for my free weekly menopause blog at feistymenopause.com. And while you're there, check out our Level Up membership where you can meet with myself and other experts several times a month. Ask anything you want. It's a great community. Check it out at feistymenopause.com. And uh, finally, just a really quick thanks to our partner, NutriSense. We talk a lot about blood sugar and insulin spikes and really getting to know how your lifestyle and nutrition impact all of that during this conversation on fasting. And spending some time with a CGM or continuous glucose monitor is really the best way to see it all in real time for yourself. As always, audience members get 30 bucks off any subscription, so you can check that out in the link in the show notes as well. All right, 
enough of me. Let's have a few words about our awesome sponsors and get on with the show. Good sleep. The one thing that sets you up for a great workout and a good day is quality sleep. We talk about it all the time here on the show, which is why I'm stoked to have Lagoon Sleep as a new sponsor. Because one of the most overlooked tools in a great sleep toolbox is the thing you literally rest your head on eight hours a night, your pillow. A quality pillow is everything. Otherwise, you end up tossing, turning, punching, and folding your pillow, waking up with neck pain, and all the stuff that happens when your pillow doesn't meet your personal comfort needs. Say hello to the most comfortable sleep you've ever had with Lagoon. They start you out with a two-minute personalized pillow quiz and then pair you with your perfect pillow. I got the Otter, a cooling adjustable pillow that is perfect for side sleepers who run warm at night like I do. It is a dream. It's fully adjustable, so I was able to get the perfect loft and support, and the cooling feature is everything. As someone who turned into a furnace every evening before menopause, I appreciate that the Otter is stuffed with shredded gel-infused memory foam, which instead of trapping heat from my neck and head, draws it away and dissipates it. It's truly delightful. I'm a good sleeper, and Otter has taken it to the next level with both support and cooling. Put my head down, good night, Irene. My aura ring confirms what little tossing and turning I was doing is gone. The beauty of the pillow quiz is you can get the perfect pillow that you need to and make your sleep the best sleep you can have. Go to lagoonsleep.com slash hit play and take the two minute quiz to find your perfect match and then use the code hit play all caps one word for 15% off your first purchase. Sweet dreams. For decades, running shoes have been researched, tested and designed for men. Brands have relied on the shrink it and pink it approach to sell male shoes to female customers. That's why we are stoked to be working with Hedda's. Hedda's designs athletic footwear for women that elevates performance, safety, and style. Hedda's has unlocked the science behind women's biomechanics through dedicated research and creates better shoes for women's performance. Some of Hedda's special features include a lower ankle collar to reduce rubbing on women's ankle bones, a breathable mesh toe box to allow for ventilation and accommodate female toe shape, a more narrow and reductive heel cup to reduce heel slippage and take pressure off the Achilles, a rounded instep that creates a snug fit through the middle to match the curvature of a woman's foot and supercritical foam and a PBEX plate in the midsole to keep our legs going when the going gets tough. Hedda's has three shoe models designed for different sessions, the Alma Cruise for your long runs, the Alma Tempo for training days, and the Alma Speed for pushing the pace. I've been running in the Alma Tempos and they are a pleasure to train in. You can get your own pair of Hedda's at Hedda's.com and use the code FEISTY20, that's all caps, FEISTY20, for 20% off. Check it out today. We'll put a clickable link in the show notes to make it a snap. Okay, Erin, I had Dr. Julie Fouché on the show, and now I'm very excited to have you on the show, because it all came from hearing you both on the Wild Health podcast have that really great conversation on fasting, and I really wanted to dig in more for my audience specifically, so thank you for being here. Yeah, it's awesome. I'm glad to be here. I've enjoyed all of your work through the years as well. Thank you. Well, yeah, I mean, you um, talk a, just a little bit so people know. I mean, I know you, you know, as Dr. Erin Donaldson, but like talk a little bit about your athletic journey a bit as we get into this. Totally. So I am currently um, 
changing to Dr. Aaron Falls, which is very exciting oh, and very congratulations. Very com thank you. Very complicated in the medical licensure world, but so feel free to look me up by either. I'll show up. Um, but I was super athletic growing up. I'll, always played soccer and volleyball for like all through till the end of high school and did CrossFit all through medical school and was super, super active, way too active, I think, for, <laughs> for how much stress I had going on. And then I got an autoimmune diagnosis in the middle of medical school that really knocked me on my butt. Um, I got a diagnosis of lupus and had to really learn how to like lean in to what my body needed from me, which was more rest than I was used to, um, more fuel than I was used to, just more care in general, less stress. Uh, more sleep than you really get in med school and residency. So I had to learn the hard way. Um, but I wouldn't trade it because I learned a lot about what the body needs, especially the female body. Um, and I now get to work with women every single day on women's health. And I, I work a lot with autoimmunity as well, which overlaps a lot with what I think we might talk about today, which is the stress axis. Um, and so I've learned kind of through my own trial and error through the years of what what works and then bringing evidence into it in my training and here we are and now I'm I had a few years where I wasn't as active because my health just really didn't allow it and thankfully I'm back with a, a lot of stress resiliency over the last you know really close to five six seven years now of really kind of doing whatever feels good to me of course there are times when my body needs to dial it back a bit but you know I personally am extremely involved in strength training and I like to do trail running um, and I'm big into yoga. So those are my three kind of flavors of choice, but I have learned what my body needs and there's times where I scale that back and there's times where I can really go hard. So I'm, you know, lucky to have kind of redeveloped that stress resiliency. Oh, that's awesome. And, and I, yes, that does lead us well, I think into this conversation. <laughs> yeah, I figured because all of those things, you know, we were talking just a little bit before I hit record, but, you know, this audience, it's, we have a highly active audience, they are either like in that menopause transition of perimenopause, or they're, you know, out the other side. And either way, you know, things are not what they were. A lot of times, they're hearing that they should be fasting. We also see like problematic low energy availability in this in this crowd and these things all mirror each other. So it can be hard to say what's what. And then postmenopause, I worry about bone and muscle, you know, as far as fasting. And I just wanted to like really do a show where we sort of tease all this out. And I would yeah. love, honestly, just to define the terms. Can we level set here? Because, I, you know, what what is... What defines a fast? Like is 12 hours, we call it breakfast, which is literally break fast. So like what define, what is enough time to call that a fast? Yeah, I mean, I think if you look it up, it says not eating for eight to 12 hours. I think not eating for just eight hours is ridiculous. I think most people need about a 12 hour break from feeding to remain insulin sensitive. Okay. So you know, I think that's a really, really reasonable fast. And generally for my women, for my cycling women, I'm recommending about a 12 hour feeding window in their luteal phase, like no, nothing further than that, you know, especially for my active gals. So, you know, I think probably that would be considered a fast. There's lots of different ways of doing it though. You know, I think where the timing starts to matter is when you go into ketosis and when you go into autophagy, two of the big things that people are going for with fasting oftentimes like the main two 
things I think people are targeting in general through the years that I've seen is they're looking to improve their insulin sensitivity and they're looking to lose weight by that way. Um, and then the other category is people that are doing it for, you know, autophagy purposes, basically, whether that's cell reduction and they're worried about, you know, cancer risk reduction or whether that's, you know, autophagy for detox purposes or whatever, whatever reason they're trying to get into autophagy or for longevity purposes, right, to, to suppress mTOR. So those hours start to matter. And there's not hard and fast. It really depends on the person. I think you can get into ketosis 12 hours or before, depending on kind of where your insulin levels lie going into it. Um, you can test those pretty easily in an N of one experiment. Um, you know, and a lot of our patients do, I don't know about y'all's. Uh, and then autophagy is going to be more like, I don't know. I think there's some research that says as early as 16 or 17 hours, there's also some research that points to greater than 36 hours. So again, you know, we just don't fully know and it depends on the person and kind of what's going on cellularly for them. So those are kind of, I think the hour markers that matter, but some people do, you know, seven day fast. That's very extreme. Some people do longer, like some people more commonly will do daily intermittent fasting, like, you know, 14 and 10 or 16 and eight. Um, some people will do like a five and two where they'll eat normally and then they won't eat on the weekend, you know, things like that. So it really just depends on the person. Yeah. Thank, thank you for that clarification. I, and before we leave, I want to just dig in and clarify a couple of those terms further, you know, autophagy being sort of like consuming oneself, you know, is, is I think what it really means, but it, it, the idea is to sort of clean, like, uh, to clean up cellular debris or is that too simplistic? No, it's not at all. I usually tell people it's like your own personalized recycling center in yourself. So that's the best way to think of it. Um, basically the body surveys and this comes down to that mTOR topic that you sent me some info on maybe wanting to dive in. So this will tie in there, but when, um, you know, mTOR basically inhibits autophagy when cells are growing cells can't die essentially is what that means okay so, so what is mTOR so um mTOR is a pathway that promotes cells it's a cell signaling pathway that promotes cell growth so that's great when we want to build muscle or when we're growing a baby or like when we just need blood sugar up for fuel or like anything like when insulin goes up or amino acids go up basically when we eat mTOR is fueled for growth um which is great to a point, right? Like we don't want unche unchecked cell growth. What do you think about with unchecked cell growth? Tumors, right? You know, or inappropriate aging or, or different things. So, you know, we want that to be in moderation, like pretty much everything with health, <laughs> right? So, you know, it, but mTOR suppresses autophagy. So we want to make sure mTOR is not on all the time. So we can get into that cellular cleanup phase, basically. So like, you know, Autophagy, think about like when things become more scarce, the body thinks, you know, oh, I might not have fuel coming in. There might be a hard time coming. I need to become really, really like badass and resilient, right? I need to be able to roll with whatever's coming in my natural environment because things are getting scarce out there. So it it screens your own, your body screens its own cells and recycles what it can and like gets rid of debris and cleans up trash and then cells that really can't be saved go into something called apoptosis and they fully die. Um, so that's kind of the two ends of the spectrum. 
Excellent. And then when you're talking about the ketosis and the insulin sensitivity, can we talk a little bit about, about the mechanisms there? Like you mentioned right out of the gate that you like to see a 12 hour window for that insulin piece specifically. Why is that? Well, I just feel like when a lot of people and, you know, I trained in a really like underserved area and then I did hospital medicine for a few years before I went into like precision medicine and functional medicine. And it's just a really different patient population. And for people that are really metabolically unhealthy, which is like 90% of our world in adults or developed countries, you know, those, those folks are, I mean, you'd be surprised at how many people are eating like past midnight, right? You know, and and things like that. And then if your pancreas never gets a chance to rest. And then of course, like the advice for years was like, have small meals all day throughout the day, right? And so your pancreas and your blood sugar never get to chill out and calm down. And so insulin just stays high all the time, becomes less efficient over time. And so we need to rest our pancreas. Like we need to get insulin down at times. It needs to be up at times and down at times. So, you know, making sure women are getting like good full meals and enough of them and then maybe some snacks or fuel before training but like resting in that time around sleep where they can get appropriate sleep uh is a huge part of that and then they wake up with a little more insulin sensitivity and then they break their fast so that's that's the way i like to i like to see it for patients and their cgms tend to agree their glucose monitors tend to be very happy when we do that right right no that's that's excellent Thank you for those explanations. And I was going to ask this later, but it seems like a good time to do it now because you talked about that hard times are coming and what is the body and how is the body responding to it, which is sort of like the idea of fasting, right? As we have these evolutionary mechanisms or these physiological mechanisms, however, they are um, perhaps different between females and males for reasons of of reproduction. And, And can you talk a bit about that? Because that I thought, you know, you... And Julie talked about that on your show, like famine is coming might mean a different thing for a woman who could have a baby or is breastfeeding children than someone who is not. Totally. I mean, you want to think about, first of all, just circadian rhythms and fasting with this, because, you know, most people just skip breakfast when they're intermittent fasting, which is probably the worst way to do it. Um, Socially, I get there. I kind of take that back to a degree because people that really stop eating dinner with their families, usually they're, they're so stressed out about it that like the stress plays a big role in their health too. But for just the purposes of what fasting does to your physiology, following your circadian rhythms is the way to go. So you want to not eat a ton before bed and you want to have a bigger meal in the morning and that follows our evolutionary background, right? I mean, people were able, to go out and get food when there was light and they weren't able to go out to get food as officially when it was dark right and you know they weren't able to get food as officially in the winter so they had longer fasting times or you know they had higher fat foods during that period so it's just it kind of just followed the seasons and that's how our bodies were made um and followed the the rhythms of the days and that's how our bodies were made but then women are highly sensitive their hormones are highly sensitive to fasting because of kiss peptin which i know you guys wrote about, I believe. Um, so kispeptin is basically a protein or a, a peptide that helps regulate our sex hormones, meaning estrogen, progesterone, things that make our us have a period cycle the way we have it. And obviously the purpose is reproduction. Um, also they regulate so much more in the body 
but those are super sensitive. Women have a lot more kisceptin than men and they're highly sensitive to fasting. So like you want to be really careful to not overdo it. And then you can totally screw up those hormones. Um, I see a lot younger population as well. I see both populations and those women are coming in, not being able to conceive because their hormones are so, so suppressed when they're in this low energy state. Um, and you know, then there's separate issues postmenopausally, of course, cause you're already in a low estrogen state. So, you know, you want to be careful and in evolutionary times, like you kind of needed that for reproduction was like the primal instinct. Right. And like, you need that fuel coming in. Like you can't, you can't suppress that or the body will just stop its ability to conceive and reproduce period. Right. And that, you know, if, if we break it down, I know a lot of people in my audience are coming into fasting because of body composition changes. Mm-hmm. Right. And, um, it, what I've seen, and I'm curious on your take, is I've seen that it can backfire in ways and that women hold on to whatever fat they have when they when they really double down on uh, restricting their, their feeding window and, and their intake. And that seems to make evolutionary sense to me as well, if that's, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. You, you hold on to that body fat to, first of all, produce estrogen, right? Because body fat produces estrogen and also to just stay there for energy. So you have fuel so that if you are growing a baby or feeding a baby, then you have, you, you won't lose that energy. The body would rather sacrifice its own muscle mass than a food source. So, um, but then it also makes estrogen too, because fat cells produce usually not the most ideal type of estrogen, but produce estrogen. And that also helps the body keep going for a woman. So for multiple reasons, you're exactly right. As a lifelong runner and cyclist, I am stoked to announce that Tifosi Optics has come on as a podcast sponsor. The beauty of Tifosi sports glasses is that they hit all the marks. They are shatterproof polycarbonate, so the lenses not only reduce glare, but also offer scratch resistance and complete eye protection. They stay put. They have little hydrophilic rubber nose pads that actually get more grippy the more you sweat, so they stay secure and don't slide down your face even when you're running in sauna-like conditions. No matter what sport you do, they have a shade for your activity, including tennis, fishing, pickleball, running, cycling, and just hanging out at the beach. And they are super reasonably well-priced, which is very hard to find in a sea of overpriced eyewear. And they just look freaking rad. So head on over to tifosioptics.com and use the code FM, capital F, and capital M, like feisty menopause, number 20, FM20, to get 20% off your order today. I'll put a clickable link in the show notes to make it a snap. Musculoskeletal health is everything during menopause. Everyone knows how much I love Joint Health Plus from Prevenex, which has helped me get back to distance running after arthritic toes stopped me in my tracks. Now they have a product that has become my go-to for muscle strength and recovery, Muscle Health Plus. Muscle Health Plus contains all the key ingredients we talk about on this show, like creatine monohydrate, essential amino acids, and branched-chain amino acids, plus even more cutting-edge ingredients like HMB and estrogen that are scientifically shown to increase muscle growth, recovery, and strength. I use it every day during my early morning lifting sessions, and there's no question that it helps my power during those workouts and my recovery after. Plus, I love having everything I need from the best high-quality ingredients in one reasonably priced shake. 
I've also heard from fellow users who have had bloating or GI upset in the past from creatine that haven't had any of that with Muscle Health Plus. I make my shake with almond milk and espresso, but it's also good with ice cold water, which makes the flavor really pop. As always, you can get 15% off your first order with the code HIPPLAY, all caps, one word, at Previnex.com. That's HIPPLAY, all caps, one word, at Previnex.com. Do your muscles a favor and head on over and get some today. So then what do, let's let's take that into this period. Let's talk about perimenopausal women first. Let's separate them out. You know, they're they're in a place where their hormones are really fluctuating and things are, you know, the ovaries are sort of going offline. There's a lot going on. Um what impact does fasting have here? Would you ever recommend it for a woman in this stage and if or if she wanted to do it, what would you recommend? Yeah. Great question. So, you know, during perimenopause, first, most women, not every woman, most women become estrogen dominant, and then estrogen drops off precipitously postmenopausally. So because you start to become anovulatory, meaning you're not ovulating every cycle. So when women are like, my periods are irregular now, and they've always been regular. Usually that means not always, but usually that means you're not always ovulating and ovulation is what raises progesterone, which helps chill out estrogen. So then when your progesterone drops off, because if you don't ovulate, your progesterone is low period. And so if your progesterone drops off, then estrogen is really unopposed. And then women start feeling all these growth symptoms of high estrogen. So that's in general, what's kind of going on for a lot of these women. Um, and then they start feeling kind of estrogen can be inflammatory, especially if it's not being metabolized appropriately, like if gut health's not great. And so, you know, a lot of women are feeling signs of inflammation, or they're feeling like emotional, or they're getting headaches, or their boobs hurt, or you know, whatever is going on. And they don't like the way they feel they're also starting to lose as estrogen pathways become less appropriate. And then especially once estrogen drops off postmenopausally, they start to, like you said, gain that belly fat, like lose lean muscle mass, et cetera. Because estrogen is very anabolic, kind of back to that cell growth versus cell death conversation. Estrogen is very anabolic. Estrogen builds things up. Why when we're in our first half of our cycle, when women are cycling, you can train a lot harder. You have more stress resiliency. You know, you can really push it and grow muscle more efficiently. And then, you know, once estrogen drops off after menopause, you really become more of a, you're in more of a catabolic state. You're in more of a breakdown state. So that's kind of the name of the game with fasting and women. I, I'm like, you're already in a catabolic state. Fasting is highly catabolic. Like you need to be careful if your goal is to lose weight, what most women mean by that, in my experience, is to improve body composition. Um, most women don't want to just lose muscle mass, um, you know, and get super skinny. That's not, I don't think about a single woman that that's her actual goal. And so if you're looking to improve body composition, you can't be fully in a catabolic state. You have to build muscle and you can't do that with all those things going on. Yeah. And that's peri and postmenopausal women you're talking about. Correct. There. Correct. Yeah, and that was one of the things I was concerned about. I I, I sent you that piece, uh, you know, Peter Atia wrote, he used to be sort of more pro-fasting and now he's not because as he was watching people he was working with and himself, like they lost weight, but a lot of it was muscle and, you know, the body composition actually didn't trend better, which is concerning. Yeah. So he was extreme an extreme faster and a very public ex. ex- and a very public extreme faster. He was He's one of an the extreme seven, person. <laughs> seven day guys. Um, 
so I do think there's more nuance to it. Like, I think there's a way to dip into that catabolic state or dip into mTOR inhibition and get some benefits, whether that's, you know, maybe you have a strong family history of cancer, or maybe your cancer genetics are kind of trash and you want to really like suppress mTOR a few times a year to really get into autophagy. Like maybe you, maybe there's some really big benefits to that. I also have, I work with a lot of autoimmune patients. I had a patient this week actually that I really think her gut and some detox issues she's had are a big trigger for her autoimmunity. And I think hormones are more of a sequelae or more of like a downstream impact from that. So for her, I think we're going to toe dip into some like autophagy inducing fast in the right time in her cycle when she doesn't have a lot of extra stress going on, not to stack those stressors to see if we can, you know, improve stem cell production in her gut and improve microbiome diversity in her gut and like really downregulate inflammation short term. Now, chronic intermittent fasting is inflammatory for most women in my experience, but like those short bursts of autophagy inducing fast can downregulate those cytokines and inflammation. So there's, there's times, right, where it's helpful, but it really needs to be done like on an individual basis. And we're talking about a, re a, a relatively very healthy health literate patient population here. I want to put an asterisk here that like for the vast majority of our country, that's metabolically very unhealthy. When I say that, I mean, their blood pressure is high, their cholesterol is high, their insulin's high, they might be diabetic. Like that is most of our world and most of our country. Those are different folks. Those people would probably significantly benefit from trials of intermittent fasting. A lot of them. Women, I still think would do better with testing along the way. Um, you know, it's interesting. I know you know this, but there's data that shows that metabolic improvements can happen for women with fasting. And there's also data that shows that blood sugar goes up and cortisol goes up with fasting. So it feels confusing. But I think when I when I look at people on an individual level, which is why I love precision medicine, it doesn't seem that confusing. Because like, I can now look at a patient and be like, Oh, yeah, your A1C is probably, you know, 5.8, meaning you're pre diabetic, but you're insulin's probably two, meaning you're overtraining, under fueling, your cortisol is dysfunctional. Like I know why your blood sugar is high. Those people are not going to do well with fasting, but people with an insulin of like 25 and their early type two diabetes are probably going to benefit even if they're women for a short time. Does that make sense? That makes, that makes total sense. And I try to, I try to bring that point home so many times that, that this is a if you are someone who exercises on purpose most days of the week, you are in the minority. You are not the general population that most of these books, magazine articles, things on the Today Show are talking to, period. Like 17% of people in this country meet the daily recommendations for exercise. That's real low. <laughs> but the people who are going to read that and listen to it are the people who don't need it. So I know. For, for this topic, for this topic. But right, right. So... So let's talk. We didn't we haven't really dug into the stress part. And I, I think that's super important because it's a lot of what we're talking about. Like what type of stress is fasting? Where does the HPA axis comes in? And then importantly, and Stacey Sims talks a lot about this. It's like the the real problem is when you start layering or stacking this, right? When you take your intermittent fasting and then you stack on your exercise stress, like all of a sudden you're doing on top of like life, on top of perimenopause, like now you're just stacking, stacking, yeah. stacking. So most of the women in the population that you and I are talking about are already like at a 
seven with Strauss probably, right? Like they're not all of them, certainly, you know, but most of them are like, I'm like, how do you, you know, release stress in your body? And they're like, by running, you know, of course. <laughs> and Go I'm for like, a long oh, run. Right. <laughs> really stressed with a stress. Awesome. And so, and that totally works when you're like 20, right? But it stops, it, it stops, it works less and less and less and less. And then postmenopausally, it works way less. So, you know, it's basically they're called hormetic stressors. When you ask what type of a stressor it is, it doesn't really mean anything. It's a stressor. Like that's the science word, but it's a stressor. And, you know, hormesis is basically the bell curve of how something impacts you. And like, think about it. Like, I think medications and pharmacology are an easy way to think about this. It's like, look at Tylenol as an example. Like Tylenol is one of the number one reasons for like death related overdoses, especially in young populations when taken to an extreme, right? When you don't take enough of it, you can't even lower a fever. When you take in the middle, it obviously works for pain and temperature. I don't really love people using Tylenol, but it's a good example that everybody understands, right? Like, so that's a perfect example of hormesis. Like doesn't work at all, sweet spot, like you went too far. You know, so there's a bell curve to just about everything we do with our bodies, right? And so we want to make sure that we're in the sweet spot with that individual stressor. And then I find that that bell curve gets like smaller and smaller as you add more stressors. So your general body's bell curve of like, what doesn't kill you makes you stronger to a point, right? <laughs> like that becomes like a more of a tightrope, the more stressors you add on. So that's the analogy I like to use. I also, for my gals or for my autoimmune patients particularly, will will tell them to think about their day as like a battery of an iPhone. Like if they're, you know, waking up and they were up all night with their kid that was, you know, crying through the night or they have a crazy work day or they ran a marathon the day before or whatever, they might already be out like 50%, right? And then like fasting might lower them to 30 and keto might lower them to 20 and like, then exercise, you know, so you just have to be careful if you're waking up and you're like monitoring all this and you're feeling like, oh, I'm at like a hundred percent, right? Like my aura looks great or my whoop looks great. And I have, I have not stressed at all. Like maybe they're in their first half of their period or they're on HRT or they're just feeling great postmenopausally. And like, maybe they can really go push it. And maybe those are the times for more stress, but, and, and stress is great. Like we don't probably get enough of the biologic stressors. People talk about hormesis being really helpful in the biohacking world because we're not exposed to extreme temperatures anymore. So right. like cold plunging is the thing, or we're not, we, people eat till midnight because of drive throughs and microwaves and fridges, right? So like an Uber Eats, right? We don't even have to get off the couch. So yeah, fasting must be helpful, right? And, you know, I just don't think a lot of people take into account their like emotional state of stress on a day to day, which it's not everybody, certainly, but most of the people that I look at when I'm looking at their heart rate variability and their cortisol and their DHEA and some of these metrics, their day-to-day stressors and the way their bodies hold stress is not great. So that most people are already sitting at like a six or seven in my, in my experience. So that's kind of how I look at it. And it's the cumulative load that matters, period. Like it's the, you know, the dose is the the poison in, when it comes to stressors and fasting is a stressor. So in the right amount with the right person, you know, without a bunch of other stressors, it can be helpful, right? You take it too extreme or you mix it with a bunch of other stressors, which most people already have, then it's it's usually harmful. Is that something that you can 
sort of keep an eye on with like, you know, we talked about we open aura with your HRV. I mean, is is the reflection in there that you can look at? Totally. So your HRV is going to be your body's like autonomic nervous system variability, essentially. So like how efficiently you're toggling between sympathetic nervous system and parasympathetic. So meaning you're like, fight or flight, people know it as like the running from a tiger, but really most people live in it. Um, Or, you know, you're parasympathetic, which is like, I mean, I think a good example is like one is like you're running late to the airport. You're pre- like, you know, you, you're going to miss your flight. And the other is like you're sitting on a beach and your favorite, like all your family's there. Or maybe not. If that's stressful, I don't know. <laughs> but, you know, like you're with your favorite people. You're sitting on a beach. You don't have your laptop. Like you, you're getting sleep and sunshine and all those things. That, that's parasympathetic, right? So like, like depending on where you're sitting, you know, and how efficiently you can get yourself back into that parasympathetic and how your body responds to certain signals is going to provide a higher heart rate variability, which is also going to correlate with higher athletic fitness as well. So what I'm hearing, um, you know, sort of to boil this down is that it doesn't have to be, I mean, if you are looking for some of these benefits, it doesn't have to be this all or nothing. And that also, we can do this in a way that is not like so extreme. I mean, I I really liked the advice to just like not eat two to three hours before bed and give yourself a nice 12 hour window. I mean, that seems achievable. Yeah. And and that's going to like benefit so many things when your sleep is already going to start being, I mean, sleep is going to get rocked before a lot of other things and even perimenopause. That's one of the first things women pick up on. That's I think the number one reason I have women wanting to go on HRT, you know, sleep is just enormous. And I think sleep is a huge reason why people develop insulin resistance and cortisol dysfunction and other things when sleep is dysregulated. So protecting your sleep is what I call it for people to not eat within that two to three hour window. Or if you have like a lot of people will work till 8 PM on certain shift work. So I'm like, okay, then front load your nutrition, have a light dinner and then go for a walk. Right. You know, to, get that blood sugar and that fuel where it needs to go to your muscles. Like don't let it, your body doesn't need to be metabolizing that all through when you're in your deep sleep or you're supposed to be in your deep sleep. So, and if they don't believe me, then we can track it with an aura or whatever and, you know, do experiments, right. Or do a glucose monitor. So I think that's the most comfortable way to do it. It doesn't have to be all or nothing with fasting and it isn't. And you and I both know most women just don't eat enough food. Like that's the issue for most active women. So usually I say no fasting right now, just no fasting, protect your sleep and then no fasting right now. And we can use that as a tool later if and when it makes sense. So that's often what I say. Postmenopausally, women can do a bit better than other time than like when women are trying to conceive, I think they're a little less, their hormones are going to be a little less sensitive because progesterone is not playing a role and progesterone is definitely the most sensitive to fasting. So, but that's like such a blanket statement. I really hate to make those because you're also in that, you know, cell breakdown state and muscle breakdown state, which is going to be worsened by fasting. So you just really need to be careful that you're fueling adequately. You're lifting enough like you're getting enough protein, you're getting enough carb, which most people don't get enough of either of those things in my experience, or most women. Um, men do just like a lot better with fasting across the board and a lot better with keto across the board, you know, but if you take like, my husband and I, you know, he's really active into CrossFit, and he can like, 
even him though, like he was struggling with some of his performance in CrossFit in the morning. And then we put a glucose monitor on him and I'm like, you need to eat for CrossFit. You need to eat for CrossFit. And he's like, no, 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 I do great with fasting. And he does when he's not training, but then we put a glucose monitor on and he would spike to like 200 during CrossFit when he was fasted, when he ate before didn't spike at all, you know? So, and women love seeing that too. Like they love seeing that data so that they know they're doing the right thing for their bodies. So I always recommend that. So you can do, you can make it just an experiment for yourself. And so you know what works for your body, but in general, I think most women don't eat enough. You know, he does in general well with fasting and I do in general well with high carb, high protein. And both that's how we individually, you know, <laughs> tone up and keep our muscle mass high. I a hundred, a hundred percent. We've, I, I've run into so many women and this population, and we haven't talked about people with a history of eating disorders, but there's a lot of them in this population. And, you know, I worry that it just, it's just another blanket over an eating disorder sometimes or a disordered eating. And I will personally say when I, cause I, my blood sugar was always trending high um, despite everything doing, I, I just was not eating enough, particularly carbohydrates. Like once I started and I'm super active, right. And I know better once I started really fueling, I feel like so much better and everything is so much more stable. Like it's everything, my weight, everything is so much more stable. And in the defense of women, I'm not big on tracking, but I do occasionally because I find that it's really easy to underestimate what you're eating. Like even when you're, I feel like my body intuition is really good at this point. And still like my natural intuition towards carbs is much lower than what I need to eat. And, you know, natural food sources are lower in carb than I think we think they are. You know, when you're doing complex whole food sources like potatoes and fruit, et cetera, like some fruits are really high, but it's not like eating a bagel, right? You know, you're, you're going to need more mass of food than most women are used to eating. Um, and, you know, comfortably eat at first when we start expanding their profile of their diet. So, you know, I, in the defense of women, I do think it, it can be difficult to get enough food for what your body truly needs. It's not difficult over time, your body adjusts to it, and it starts feeling really normal and natural. But as they're just as they're adjusting to it, I even find myself in that trap when stress is really high. And then like, my ghrelin and leptin, which are the hormones that tell us when we're full and hungry, like, when stress is high, those get really dysregulated. And so you're Maybe don't trust your your spidey senses of what exactly how much you should be eating quite as much um, and just make sure you're staying on track or it's all going to kind of devolve. Yeah, and I, I, I think that it might be, you know, I, I don't I don't feel like people need to get, um, you know, super meticulous about tracking everything they eat and, and all this stuff. But I, I do feel like an experiment. You know, I experimented with the CGM for a while just to see what was going on. I got my blood work done. You know, I experimented with some stuff and just like a month or so of time is so educational and and just and then tuning into how you feel on top of that. And then it's just like I feel more more informed, like some of the stuff that I was just like, oh, well, you know, that's going to spike. And it, it there was no spikes. Nothing was spiking. You know, I mean, I it it was really informational for me. Totally. And it, it's tricky. Like you're saying, I think those kinds of trackers, I think this set of patient population is going to be more leaning toward like obsessive nature with those things and being really meticulous, like you said. So you want to be a little careful that we're not just inundating them with data, which is going to make that stress worse. And I mean, there's just 
just damn near carb phobia in a lot of my female patients. And when they first see that carbs lower their blood sugar, it is just a moment I could never, like they have to learn that for themselves. Like they, you know, I could never convince them of that because we've been hammered that carbs are bad as women, right? We've been hammered that carbs make you fat, right? And like actually low muscle makes you fat and you can't build muscle without carbs for most women. So like muscle is one of the most anti-inflammatory, like, anti-obesity things we could have period and so that's the name of the game if you want to bottom line it for post-menopause you got to build lean muscle mass up for for body comp for longevity for blood sugar for literally everything if there's one thing and I, I talked to my mom about this my mom's 64 we were just going on a walk this morning and she'll be like what do I need to do or you know like she's super active still she was always a gymnast like very athletic and I'm like eat more protein and lift heavy things. Like that's what you need to do and make sure you're getting some carbs. Like that'll, that'll, that'll pretty much do it if you're doing most of the other things. So I think that's probably the biggest bottom line. So if you're compromising that at all with fasting, like you just need to be careful. Excellent. Um, I think that that covers pretty much everything that I was hoping to cover in here. Is there anything that you thought for either of these populations, you know, in the transition or post menopause that we haven't discussed regarding fasting particularly? I don't think so. I mean, I think, you know, it's easy to demonize things or like polarized conversations. And I, I use fasting in my patients, but like I'm their physician and I'm looking at all their data and we're monitoring things and there's specific reasons. Like I have patients with autoimmunity that were using it for certain things. I have patients with active cancer that were using it, you know, and there's, there's big benefits to fasting. We know it induces autophagy and we know how helpful autophagy can be for numerous reasons. Um, you know, we know it can help with stem cell production, microbiome diversity, you know, anti-aging, all kinds of things. I just would just advise people to really find somebody who will take a look at their personalized health and help them make these very nuanced decisions because it's not just all good. I do think Mindy Pels did a really good job in starting to get on the map. Like if you're going to fast, this is how you need to do it as a woman versus as a man. And I think that's very, very helpful, um, especially for women that are premenopausal, like not fasting in their luteal phase is a game changer for women. And like, you take PCOS women who tend to be insulin resistant, if they do a touch of fasting in their follicular phase, and then none at all in their luteal, like, they tend to get a lot better. So there's, there's a time and a place. But I guess the bottom line is like, you just need to to know what that is. And it's nuanced enough, even for people that know a lot about this it doesn't have to be a doctor, but like, find somebody who really is well versed in this, because it's a, it's not a it's not a simple medical topic. So I think it really needs to be personalized. So let me just put an extra pin in that from what I'm hearing. So what I'm hearing is all of us can not eat soon before bedtime, you know, give ourselves that very healthy 12 hour ish fast without without worrying about it. Right. Like we're all good for that. No, unless, saying- unless maybe you're pregnant and there's certain. Oh, OK. We're not, no, but yeah, yeah, yeah. Take pre- take pregnancy out, but all and children, but like almost all of. Right. Like us. Grown adult women that aren't pregnant. Yes. <laughs> okay. Yes. Unless you're pregnant and that's another show, but like if you're from, from the vast majority of people out there, yes, like that's, that's a good thing. But then if you are looking for other reasons to do a more extreme sort of fasting, 
Um, you can do that. You don't have to do it all the time. You can do it a couple times a year, maybe when you're not training so much. Um, and you can work with a professional to like really dial that in for you. Is that fair? Yeah, I think that's great. And then if people don't have the resources for that, I do think Fast Like a Girl was well written and gives at least people a lot of information. It's very pro fasting. Yeah. And I'm not super pro fasting. Um, so it's I'm sure inherent we're all biased, right? Um, so it's got some bias, but that it's that not also post menopausal, right? Like I mean, there's, I think of that there's some, but it's okay. more geared towards uh it's more geared towards like a cycling woman. You're exactly right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I really appreciate the work you do yeah. and, you know, this having this nuanced conversation because this is such a nuanced topic and just everybody out there just hit the basics first, like, you know, lift, eat well, get rest, you know, and then just then yeah. consider. Yeah. I mean, our average woman is not eating enough and doing too much cardio in my experience and really stressed out. Like, most of what I do for women is have them lift heavier weight and eat more protein and carbs and like try to sleep and chill out and laugh more and they get a lot better. So <laughs> it's, it's a lot simpler than we make it out to be. I think with, with healthcare, like the fasting piece can be really nuanced, but in general, those principles like are tried and true and they're, they're going to help you. Well, that's our show. Come on back next week for another Q&A episode where I answer a bunch of the questions that we get through our hit play, not pause voicemail box. So come on back for that one. And until then, as always, stay feisty. You've been listening to Hit Play, Not Pause, a feisty menopause podcast for active performance minded women. I'm your host, Celine Yeager. The show is edited and produced by the strong, talented, and amazing women at Live Feisty Media. Follow us on social media at Feisty Menopause. And please help us spread the word. Screenshot and share this episode on your social media channels with the tag at Feisty Menopause. Share the show with your friends. And please subscribe, like, review, and rate this show wherever you get your podcasts. Word of mouth and good reviews make it easier for other listeners to find. Thanks for listening, and as always, stay feisty. Stay feisty.